Hello, everyone. This is the Landscape Mode Podcast, live from MoveWeb headquarters in San Francisco. I'm your co-host, Ike DiLorenzo. And I am your other co-host, Justin McGann. Uh, this week, we're going to be talking about um, the rise of HTML5 apps and a couple of new phones that have either sold out or sold out on PR, the Firefox and Ubuntu phones, uh, and how they're driving HTML browser apps um, <clears throat> and the rise of hybrid apps and what this all has to do with local political elections in San Francisco. That's right. Before we start, I'd like to thank our new listeners in Canada, the Ukraine, in England, Ireland, and Norway, and of course, here in the United States. Um, so, Justin, it looks like uh, the Indiegogo Ubuntu phone effort has both succeeded and failed. Well, they did not hit their very ambitious goal of $32 million, um, which is not all that surprising. They did raise $12 million and $800,000, which, uh, even though it was unsuccessful and all money is being returned, uh, did set the record for any crowdsourcing. I think previously the the highest was the Pebble Watch, which was ten million something. Yeah, but so was was it that the goal was ambitious or was it apocryphal? Uh, they, did they think they could hit thirty million? Um, I don't know. Maybe they had stars in their eyes and they were, you know, really thought that they could do it. Um, and maybe they just made an excellent Indiegogo campaign and showed off how beautiful looking the operating system, the Ubuntu operating system is, and got a lot of people talking about it and saw yeah. articles in a lot of cool places. Yeah, we were talking earlier. I am persuaded by your argument that it's probable that they never thought they'd reach $30 million, that it is the cheapest PR campaign in history because it cost them nothing, and it actually cost all the people who were going to contribute nothing. And now some third or fourth tier phone manufacturer is going to go running off to them and beg to build the Ubuntu phone. Right. Even, even if it wasn't, I mean, if it hit the $30 million, great. They blew out every record. They blew out the record by, you know, three times, 300%. Um, and if they didn't, you know, which they, I th- they had to have some idea that they weren't, that it was unlikely that they were going to hit it. Yeah. So if they didn't, they got a lot of cool people talking about them. And yeah, you know, if you're ZTE, if you're HTC, if you're these different uh, phone manufacturers, hardware manufacturers, you're probably looking at it and saying, should we make a, a model phone that has Ubuntu on it? And should it look like the Ubuntu phone, where if you've seen the video, there's a British guy who is basically Jonathan Ivey and who looks like him and talks like him. And the video is staged like an Apple video, except it's for the Ubuntu phone. Aesthetically, it is very Apple-y. It is very Apple-y, Apple circa 2007-y, very much... It's like a high design office. Everyone's at a cube. They're totally busy. Everyone is either white or Asian. They're completely working as hard as possible on this amazing phone. And beautiful workplace with lots of open space and high ceilings. Uh, So the the takeaway from this whole thing 
is that they intuited and they were right that there's a huge number of people who are desperate to have like a cheap phone that does cool things that runs HTML5 apps. Yeah, well, yeah, they were right. There's the, they there's a reason why so many jumped onto the campaign and contributed uh, money for it. This is obviously some people, something people have interest in. Um, there's no reason why every person needs to have a phone that's either the Apple iOS or Android OS. Um, there's definitely interest in other operating systems. Um, where some of the previous operating systems that had market share, like uh, Palm and BlackBerry, I don't think anyone has a lot of faith in them coming no, back. No, I mean, the coolest thing about these phones, Ubuntu, we're going to talk about the Firefox one next, is that they they have sort of a guaranteed app universe because they either purport to or will run all the existing Android apps in some sort of like emulation layer. And what they really want is everyone to take all the HTML5 apps that everyone's writing like crazy and just have them run easily on the phone. Yeah, if I if I understood the video correctly, they said that in, in their Indiegogo promotional video that um, any Android apps would port yep. over to it. And that's, that's huge because not only are you now making another operating system, but you don't have to worry about supporting it with your own native apps. Um, so, yeah, it, there's the appeal there, and there's obviously interest in these, you know, Firefox OS, uh, Ubuntu Edge. Yeah, there's interest in these uh, different operating systems, and and there's the the other new operating system, which is this sort of stealth operating system from Samsung called Tizen. They also have an emulation layer where you can run your existing Android apps, but they also prefer you to run HTML5 apps. So they're like, vote one is for Android. We know there's lots of Android stuff, mm-hmm. but they know their one second choice is HTML5, and they're having this contest where you write an HTML5 app that runs on Tizen, and they're giving away huge amounts of prizes. I think they're giving some significant some number that's significant to them like 404,000 or 4 million or something you get 200k for their grand prize um there's a few of those you get 100k for the second prize 40,000 there's quite a lot of money they're giving away to developers to develop for Tizen well you need apps for no matter how usable beautiful intuitive an operating system is you need apps and so if you're coming in after Apple, after Android, you have to have a really accessible uh, way for apps to get onto your phone. You know, no one buys an iPhone wondering what kind of apps there are going to be available. They just assume everything they need they're going to be able to get. Um, yeah, and, and apparently pre-installed apps are just not working out for Android. They, I guess there's a movement to deinstall all the pre-installed apps. There, people, all the bloggers are calling them bloatware. Nobody, people want to choose their own apps. That's that's very funny to hear that carried over. I always thought of that when you do the Windows install back, <laughs> back when I had a Windows system, and you spent the first forty five minutes uninstalling all of the things that they had installed. You know, just as part of it. Yes, terrified that you might uninstall something that was critical. Right, just waiting to restart and something be broken, but just fighting to try to get rid of the ask.com, uh, ax.com uh, oh, search bar. Yes. And so I guess some of that back, some people also remember that they're just completely intolerant of pre-installed Android apps. 
Um, but do you use your the pre-installed apps on your phone? No, I immediately deinstall them. And what's funny is then later I'll realize that I need to reinstall some of them. But I'm just so annoyed that they I didn't have a choice in the beginning. Yeah, I don't I don't know. I mean, I don't use I have iOS. I don't use that the Apple Maps. Um, I mean, there's the very native things like camera, but so there's the third phone that in this group, if there's a group of three new app universe and device universe things happening in mobile, the third one's obviously the Firefox phone, which is real, unlike yes. we the Ubuntu, about, yeah. which is vapor that you're supposed to invest in. It's a great video. It's a really good video. It's a I, great video. It's not a phone. It's a cool idea, and it's a great video, but the Firefox phone is an actual piece of hardware. Yeah, and Tizen is... It does exist because there's a million, there's millions and millions of Samsung phones out there, and they are all going to start. All the new Samsung stuff will supposedly be able to run Tizen, including phones and TVs. That's more real than Ubuntu. The most real thing is, as you said, the Firefox phone, which people actually are using now in Spain and Argentina and in the U.S. Yeah, it's sold, sold out, right? It's sold out in in hours, I think. Yeah. And now I notice that people are reselling them on eBay for like, this is a $50 phone. This is a list price $80 phone, which was supposed to street price for about $50 that is now selling on eBay for about $150. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's, there's demand for them. I think we have one in the office. We, I think we, we had to get one, you know. We have one in the office, but it has disappeared. And no one, <laughs> everyone is sending emails claiming that someone else had it last. And so it's gone. Oh, the device library. Yeah, we don't know where it is. QA was supposed to have it, but now it's gone. But anyway, this is another phone. They don't, they interestingly are not going to run. It, it appears from all their current literature, they are not going to bother running Android apps because their HTML5 ecosystem, it, it's pure JavaScript. It's very easy to write the apps. And like the JavaScripts in PhoneGap, they enable you. We discussed this last week a little bit. They enable you to access the camera, accelerometer, stuff like that. So you don't need to do anything but write an HTML5 app or take your current HTML5 app and just compile it for Firefox phone. Yeah, well, it comes down to languages. It's They're going to stick with JavaScript instead of making you use Java or uh Objective C, and so you still—they're still going to have native features. You just get to those native features through JavaScript, so you can still get to the camera and still—you know—all those device-specific features are available. Um, it's just available in a language that you know JavaScript that front-end developers use. And so, if you're building HTML5, CSS, web app, it's not too far of a leap to just include those JavaScript for making the native calls for camera or all the other features that, that you're going to have on it. And so you get the native elements right there in uh, JavaScript. Yeah, and the, the thing that you might first think about these phones is, okay, this is cool for like bleeding edge nerds who are like spending all their time browsing around Indiegogo and building HTML5 apps. But I was in... Um, I was in a meeting. He says condescendingly. Yeah, you know. So I was in a meeting with some other executives from other companies the other day. And uh, we'll continue with this mode of talking up. Uh, and I was really surprised. This is a fairly high-level person at a very big 
global company, you know, excess of 10 billion in revenue, in market cap, that sort of thing. Um, and they're very interested in the Firefox phone because they have a lot of potential customers uh, wh whose end users are in China and in the developing world. And they don't believe that Apple is, or uh, even Samsung are gonna produce phones that are a price point that those people can use. And so at this stage, they want development to begin for HTML5 for Firefox and those similar phones, which is really amazing to me. I had pictured it as just sort of like a pebble watch kind of thing, like one more toy for rich people. But it, these phones may actually be phones for real people who need a smartphone. Yeah, I mean, everyone is trying to lower the bar of what it takes to get a smartphone. We talked about a little bit about it last week about Android devices and Someone someone said to me afterwards, like, no, Android devices are still pretty expensive because we were contrasting it with Apple devices and then and uh, iOS devices, and that's that's really true. Um, and so yeah, everyone everyone is trying to make a more affordable device when it comes to international. When it comes to the really cool statistic I saw about a month ago was um, Facebook Facebook for any phone. Uh, which is basically what they use for feature phones, mm -hmm. have uh, 100 million users. So that's 100 million people who are active in social media and do not yet have a smartphone. And those people in are going to have a smartphone Interesting. soon. Interesting, which really does not bode well for Nokia because <laughs> the bulk of their phones are feature phones, like in, in the non-first world. Yes, but they're indestructible. They are very indestructible. It's true. I probably the one my Nokia phone from like ten years ago is probably still running. That's right. Um, it is it is really interesting though that Apple is trying to trying to also get in. You know, so I, these people are having these cheap phones, and all everyone's trying to race to provide the third world with phones. And now Apple is trying to produce a cheap phone, which. We talked about this before. It seems to be the first time Apple has tried to go down market in anything. Yeah, yeah, they definitely are. It's, it's a lot of things. It's realizing the international audience. It's just they've been making phones for six six years now? Five, six years now? Yeah, six years. Um, and so, of course, production costs, prices go down. I mean, the Kindle a few years ago cost, a few years ago cost $250. Now you get it for $70. So I think just production helps bring it down. And then there's definitely been a concerted effort to make it more affordable. And to make the iOS not a total minority operating system when when feature phones convert to smartphones. Right. Yep. They're, they are definitely trying to be an international player. So I was looking at the this, uh, play, this like think tank type place in England called Vision Mobile. Their stuff's online. Mm -hmm. uh, their reports are online. They were talking about app developers and like what they develop in and the languages. What they yeah, what in. what iOSs they target, what okay. languages operating systems. Yeah. So they, you know, it's the usual stats in that everybody in the first world is primarily developing for iOS. Uh, Android is rapidly approaching, but the interesting thing is that HTML5 is everyone's second or third choice. So all these developers for iOS and the developers for Android. They are also developers in HTML5, even if they don't target the other platform. Right. So then, they're number one. They primarily think of themselves as an iOS developer or as an Android developer, but 
if you were to ask them what what else they developed for, they would say HTML. HTML5, yeah. It was if you add up the second and thirds, it's like it's a huge number. Um, and then if you add the rise of HTML5 in in hybrid app usage in PhoneGap, you know, there's another statistic saying that the majority of new apps that are under development right now are non-native, mm-hmm. meaning that some significant part of the functionality is in a is in a web view, is in hybrid, is right. in HTML. They have native. They just have along with native, they have web views. Yeah, and then all the new phones that are coming online that primarily target HTML5. Right. It's uh, it's it is certainly. This the duopoly that people talk about, or that everyone is complaining about between Android and iOS, may actually be more fragile than people realize. Yeah, I think it makes a lot of sense when you just look at the skill set that people have. You know, um, there's a lot of developers out there, the front end developers that have learned HTML, they've learned CSS, and they've learned JavaScript, and that's. Uh, that's a skill set that they have, and um, maybe that's a secondary thing that they picked up along the way when they were developing Objective-C or uh, developing with JavaScript, and they think of themselves as iOS developer, but they're perfectly capable of developing an HTML app, and um, and you kind of have to be for lots of reasons. And yeah, and now you can do actual stuff in HTML5. You can say upload a photo from your camera roll. Yeah, that's another thing about like web apps is it's, it's weird to think like what. When is it a mobile site and when is it a web app? When it's 100%, you know, in the browser, when is it a web app? When is it a mobile site? Um, and I don't even know how to make that distinction. Usually I just go by uh, how it looks and feels. But you even have um, sites that you just pull up. I pull up in Chrome. You know, the NPR site has a very, very, very app feel to it. Even yeah. when you're just visiting on your desktop. You could see, yeah, there's like there's the Chrome Web Store. Those things are like called actual apps. Right. They're just web apps. The Lego right. app built Those, with Chrome, it's fantastic. Yes. And, there and there's are, other ones too, but the Lego one, it's really fantastic. Uh, okay, so note to all listeners, run Lego Chrome Web Store app. Build, build with Chrome. Link in the show notes. And all this stuff is like one step away from being an app in HTML5 on mobile devices also. Yeah. Yeah, well... And then you absolutely. have the sites like you were talking about, like NPR and and some of the really appy sites, like the Financial Times stuff, that also is ready. So th- this is what brings us to the San Francisco elections. Um, yes. How, how are we going to tie that in with the, this topic? Was that a smooth segue? That was a fantastic segue, Ike. So there's, there's this whole theory in the universe of ranked choice, yes. meaning that... You know, sometimes your things are in first place. Sometimes you know it's a head-to-head first place. Who's winning? iOS, Android, but who's in second, third, fourth, and fifth place can have a cumulative effect, especially if they're very similar. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, we have this purported duopoly with Apple and Android, and then we have two, three, four, and five turn all to be mostly HTML five. Right. So in the San Francisco elections, as people maybe you've watched Milk or other movies, or you follow San Francisco elections because of Diane Feinstein, uh, in District Ten of San Francisco, there was an election recently, and um, the first place candidate uh, was this guy Tony Kelly. He got lots of votes, but 
the first base candidate in that the guy who got the most first place votes. He got the most first place votes. But in ranked choice, in any ranked choice system, you get proportional amount of points for getting second, third, fourth, and fifth. So it turned out that the woman who initially got fourth place in the election, when the calculations were done to figure out, you know, how many second place people chose her, right. how many people third place chose her, it turned out that uh, Malia Cohen, who is now the supervisor of District 10, was the winner based on her second, third, and fourth choices. Right, because you vote, you pick your top five, and then there's a weighted. So even though she finished fourth in first place votes, you get there's weighted for a second, third, and fourth, and the total weighted total, she finished with the most points. Yeah. I mean, the important lesson is the vote was really split. And she was the most popular candidate, but we never would have found this out without ranked choice. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. She she was the most popular. She just, she wasn't that, fr- and it's like the front runner mentality of yep. anything. You only pay attention to the front runners, even though everyone was saying oh, she's a pretty good candidate. She, you know, she can really, you know, they were interested in her, but she wasn't seen as a front runner. And then elections come around, you know, ranked choice. She was actually the most popular candidate. Right. This system figured out she's the most popular. And as it turned out, she is an excellent supervisor. So the lesson for the mobile market in ranked choice, we're really undergoing ranked choice in the mobile market where we do have these front runners, they get a lot of attention, but it may well be that the most popular choice is HTML5 because it's everyone's second, third, and fourth choice. And it, it I think, will do a come from behind sneak win when it comes to like what developers are developing in, what enterprises, um, develop their functionality and for apps and like and apparently for operating systems that get millions of dollars in purported fundraises on Indiegogo. Yeah. Well, I mean you need to develop an HTML5. There's always native things. There's you know, we were I was with a few guys yesterday we were looking at some hybrid apps including the iOS store and you know people look at it and it's just an app they don't think about they don't they don't think is this a native app they don't think is this a web view and a lot of it is web views and the user doesn't care they just want a good experience so whatever you whatever mixture of this is a native element this is a web view they don't care just create a really good user experience and whatever languages get you there whatever skill sets you can get to build that uh you or I might look at the Financial Times and say, this is so cool because it's HTML5, you know, but most people don't. Yeah. They just think this is a good experience. I like using this app. But what is cool about that HTML5 app and maybe others is um, the way they're deployed in that, you know, when you have a Financial Times subscription, you pay once mm-hmm. and you get all endpoints. Right. Because the app doesn't care what endpoint it's running at. Yes, this is my my New York Times Kindle argument where I've... We have to do this once per podcast. We did I did ding, I talk about New York? Yes, we have to ding apps that try to charge per endpoint. Did, did I say this last time? Yes, please <sighs> go ahead. It's, it frustrates me. I, I canceled my Kindle subscription to get digital subscription so that I can read on my laptop, but then I canceled my digital subscription to go back to reading on the Kindle. Why can't I just have one subscription and just use one any device? It is kind of ridiculous. And we, in the first world, we have a serious problem because we have so many devices. It's really hard, right. you know, to 
keep track of which your device, which expensive device you're using at what time. It's a serious problem. Well, I, and we have a lot of subscri- subscription model is the, you know, a the model that people have found works right now, and I like the subscription model. You know, some things like Netflix have figured it out, and I can just watch it on anything. Other things, you just, you know, it's it's fragmented. So, um, so we're coming to the end of our time. Uh, I we have a new email address to announce. This is a very exciting piece of information for exciting. our for our listenership. It is landscape mode at moveweb.com. And you can also find this on our on the homepage of the podcast, which will be up soon. Yeah. We mold over the title, the email address for hours and so finally the, finally settled on landscape mode. For the email address. It was yeah. it was a hard conversation, but we came up Mostly with we just fought over Ike and Justin and then I said, No, it has to be Justin and Ike or I walk and <laughs> and then we decided, you know, let's just you know, it came to physical violence, and we decided let's just let's just go with landscape mode. Thank you very much for your emails over the past week as well. So now there's an official place for them to go. Absolutely. Um, uh, until next week, I am Ike DiLorenzo. I'm Justin McGann. And we'll see you next week on landscape mode. Have a good one.